Hello and welcome to Smosa Chats, where every week I, comedian Preet Singh, will host a guest who has challenged South Asian norms, whether that be through pursuing a passion as a career or devoting their work to challenging the status quo and taboos within our communities. So sit back, grab a smosa, and enjoy. Hello, so uh, Poonam Sandhu, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Um, all right, just you know, hanging in there. So, for people that don't know, Poonam's a mental health nurse, mm-hmm. and you recently started. Is it a blog? What would you call it? Mental health I'm, matters. I'm in the process of starting a blog, but I have um, kind of launched myself as Mental Wealth Matters, um, just to put a name on what I'm doing and what I've been doing for last. Oh my God, I'm going to reference my age now, <laughs> but yeah, coming up to 20 years. So yeah. you, you've been working with mental health uh, as a mental health nurse for nearly 20 years then? So uh, officially about 15 years. 15 yeah, years. But, but prior to that, I was kind of training up and getting into nursing and doing all kinds of different things that took me to, to my areas of um, expertise, expertise that I am in now. Yeah. What, um, what made you actually go into mental health in the first place as a career? Do you know, it's really funny because actually... Um, I was tricked. <laughs> so I was that teenager that gave my parents the hard time. Let's not forget, you know, you grow up in that period, your parents um, are quite, well, my parents were quite strict. Yeah. Um, and I rebelled against that. And I'm sure I'm not the only Asian person in this seat that's probably ever going to say that. But um, yeah, I really rebelled. And my mum sent me off to get a work interview. Um, and I was like, right, I'm really going to cock this up. Not knowing it's her, her proper best mate yeah. got into working as a care home. Um, and that just turned my life around. You know, working in a care home, you're literally starting from the bottom up mm. in every sense of the word. Um, you know, and so that's how I got into nursing. How I got into mental health was working with women who were fleeing domestic violence. Um, uh, and, and that really blew my mind um, so that took me down the path of mental health really and, and I just felt that I I had a gift for talking um, <laughs> which a lot of people will echo <laughs> so um, I wanted to use that, that, that to help others you know right. I just um, yeah that's how I got into mental health through my mum's trickery <laughs> yeah. Hey, well, shout out to the mum. Shout out to the mum, yeah, absolutely. Got me into nursing, yeah. And with the blog, so what, what made you start the blog? I know it's like a, a format yeah, for you a, to yeah. share your experience. It's, a, it's, a, it's in the process of me trying to, 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 to kind of create and start the blog. Really, to, to get people to start thinking about mental wealth. We talk about uh, wealth in terms of money, mm. you know, especially Asians. Let's face it, the cards the house, you know, all of that. We see that as status. Um, And we do acknowledge health somewhat. uh, And it's really easy. Oh, you know, like got a broken leg or, you know, you you know, yeah, my arm's hurting. All of that we acknowledge. But how do we accumulate our mental wealth? For me, that's massive, you know. Um, And I don't think we do it. And as a community, I think I've found... Our community is especially hard to target. 
I, I got to a place in my career where I was like, you know what, I'm not even going there. Um, but now I do feel differently and I kind of want to really just put that message out there about, sorry, accumulating your mental wealth, but understanding what self-care is, understanding what self-love is. And that's such a cliche thing about self-love, you know, how mm. to love yourself. But if we don't do that, all the things that we predispose to, diabetes, heart disease, you know, all those things, they're just going to be exacerbated because we can't look after ourselves like mentally yeah i'm yeah so i'm i'm with you on that but i also think the parallel that you drew there between physical health and mental yeah. health do you remember about 10 15 years ago when like diabetes and heart disease yeah. and stuff were ignored nobody uh, nobody gave a shit about yeah. them whereas now through through work um outreach programs etc because yeah. i remember when we used to go to the uh, gordura i remember doctors gps and stuff used to come in they do talks on diabetes and stuff yeah. i think now there's like a little shift mm. where people are starting in our community are starting to think yeah. oh, okay maybe mental health is a thing yeah. let's learn about it so i think you're probably doing this at a great time actually to like add yeah, to that yeah i mean my husband makes me laugh because he's been like he says it to me honestly at least once a week he's like you've been going on about this for the last 10 years and i'm like we didn't even meet 10 years ago <laughs> like but you know what i mean but but, he, but you're absolutely right because it's such a big thing. You know, we, you can have an operation. You can manage yourself uh, with medication. You can deal with the tangible. How do you deal with the things that are not tangible? It's yeah. so, you know, it, so you're right. You know, it is, it is a good time. I guess I still have my little resentment in the back of my mind. that, Like, come on, guys. Like, you know, we really should have started addressing this a long time ago. But we are here today, and that's what we need yeah. to do. You know, and we need to educate the elders the new generation and the coming generations and how to kind of work with this, you know? Yeah, I'm with it. And one of your specialisms is addiction. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, quite an apt topic for mm. our, our communities, I think yeah. in the South Asian community. Yeah. What types of addiction have you seen So personally? predominantly... Not personally, but... Personally, like, well, yeah. personally what are we you can, addicted we can, to? We can, well, we can talk about it. That's a whole different show. Pretty, yeah. But, um, oh, goodness. So predominantly alcohol, drugs... Um, you know, you've got gambling, you've got sex addiction, uh, love addiction. Love addiction? Uh, yeah, love addiction. Um, you know... Wait, 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 you can't gloss over that. What's <laughs> love addiction? <laughs> well, sex and love addiction really is all to do with intimacy. Right. And um, this is going to, you know, excuse the pun, but it's filling the hole. You know? <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, guys. Um, but... It's that void, you know, and trying to fill that void. And the same thing that somebody might do or get that void filled with alcohol or with drugs, it's get reaching an uh, oblivion, right. um, which takes you away ultimately from yourself. Mm -hmm. So that's what I would say. Um, obviously, uh, alcohol, I think we've, we've spoken about it a lot on, on this show. Why do you think... I, I always think it's alcohol, drugs, and gambling are the three addictions that yeah. I see most in our community. Yeah. Just, yeah. Like, you know, from, from being part of that community. What, what do you think spurs that? I don't... So for, so for me, personally, like, in all the years I've worked in addiction, I don't think you can say that addiction will discriminate, you know, against who it's going to choose Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't matter what colour, religion, you know, your sexual preference is going to pick anybody. Why 
our community, you know, why we need to look at our community around it is because we brush it all under the carpet. You know, there's amazing things about the South Asian community, but there's actually some things that keep us really unhealthy and really toxic, and that is one of the things. Push it under the carpet. Um, let's put some prayers on it. Let's get this person married off. Uh, you know, this person's possessed. Take them to a, a priest and get this demon out of them. Right. Come on, let's, let's, have a, let's talk about that stuff. Have you come across cases like that? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, um, I've been very fortunate and very privileged in my working life to come across amazing people. So I, I don't want to be like demonizing anyone who's got an addiction. But you will see people, and I've, I've experienced a lot of people from our communities who ever come into treatment and who've been really ill from alcohol or drugs you know they've nearly died um, mm. or killed somebody else in that and i find the families can be a real problem you know they can be a don't get me wrong i don't want to dismiss how much the families go through because the families go through hell and back mm. right with these with with their um addicted person in the family but um they don't know how to support them yeah um, why don't they know how to support them? Do they reach out to services? Of course not, because then everybody will know. Oh, no, 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 they're not in treatment. They've just gone on holiday for three months. Why are we doing that? That weird concept of communal shame, even though everybody's going through something similar. You know, I don't know one family in our community that hasn't, especially alcohol, that hasn't suffered from some form of alcohol right. addiction. And, and, and when you think of that, so if we were to sit here and, and, and have a frank discussion about... Um, who we think may have an addiction in our family or our friend circle. If we were to have that discussion, truthfully, right, how much of that discussion is also going to be about, oh, okay, and they, and they spoke about it and they got treatment and yeah, you know, like, like they've got enough support. Zero percent, one percent. But then we also have to look at ourselves. You know, I'm going to put my hands up here and I'm going to say that I've had depression in my life in recent years, I was so embarrassed to talk about it. I felt shame to talk about it. Yeah. You know, so there is something that's a cultural norm within us that's built, and we have to kind of break that. Um, that I think is really, that's actually quite toxic to all of us. Yeah, know? I think it, it requires an almost paradigm shift, I think, mm. in our community to, to, to almost accept that, okay, people have flaws, and it's kind of like being genetically predisposed to like totally. a diabetes or something. Totally. Like, you know, the, our aunties at the Goddara, they're always like, oh, medic will have diabetes, uh, sugar. But yeah. nobody would be there being like, look, man, I've been like, f- f- like fucking feeling down or some shit. I'm depressed. I'm addicted to something. Doctors told me, you know, I need to, I need to, I, I'm, keep, I'm drinking, I'm, I'm really struggling or, you know, I'm taking, I'm taking lots of pills that the doctors said. I mean, what about prescription pills? They're huge. People yeah. are addicted to it, you know? That's got his own thing, you know. But yeah, you're so you're so right. We're so quick to talk about the physical stuff because that's socially accepted. Yeah. Um, but the minute you bring in something else, is uh, you know, and I'm really passionate about it because, you know, to 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 the detriment of perhaps my role even within my own family, I'm a bit of the black sheep because I talk, and and then if I I almost find sometimes you almost have to. Um, 
come away and, and retreat a little bit because not everyone's ready to hear the truth. You know? Yeah, hundred uh, percent. Um, yeah. have, have you faced a lot of backlash? Just uh, maybe, maybe not backlash. Just, maybe that's the wrong word. But have you faced a lot of like, um, yeah, fuck it, backlash from communities, families, and stuff in the um, work that you do? In the work, I suppose maybe a little bit with the clients. You right. know, as I was saying, uh, you know, I remember one client's mum was kind of asking if I was married. And I'm like thinking, <laughs> <laughs> so you want to think about me for your son while he's having alcohol treatment? Like, really? Like, you think that's going to solve his problem? Oh, I know. Let's get him married to this person who's, who deals with alcohol, alcoholism. And, uh, you know, so in terms of uh, clients, families, not so much a backlash, but not a lack of understanding. That would probably be the best word, actually. Lack of understanding. Just a lack of understanding all round. I, I, I know even my mum, like, years ago, she was like, well, why can't they just stop? Because that's not what they do. Yeah. And, you know, I, you know, I, I know when I had my daughter, and that was when my postnatal depression set in, I, I, again, as I said, I was really scared to tell anybody how I was feeling. I'm a mental health nurse. I've been doing this my whole life, but no, it comes to me, shut down. But I remember the things that I would hear people say, like, you know, well, in my day, you know, we would just get on with it. Oh, in my day, we just, we didn't have any of this, this stuff. And, you know, we didn't have it as easy as it. And, and you know, you just recoil even more, you know. Mm. Um, so I think what's really important as well, I guess, is putting yourself around the right people that have a really good understanding. Yeah. Um, and if, even if they don't have a good understanding, but they promote your self-care. So they're not going to be the one to be like saying, oh, you know, like you've got a problem. Don't worry about it, you know, or they'll be like, you've got a problem. How can I help? Can I help? Mm. You know, do you need to talk to someone about it? It's like having like a look, sport network is totally, really important. Yeah. Um, whether that's professional, social or whatever. It's so important to have a, a good support network, you mm. know, because... Um, I think when you don't have a support network in place for whatever you're going through, you know, that's why they say it's really important to have meaningful relationships. Um, because when you don't have that in place, I think it can be really lonely, you know, and then it just feeds that can't talk to anyone about it. Yeah. You know, I mean, to put you on the spot here. <laughs> but yeah. have you are you about to I was about there? to sneeze yeah. <laughs> he's like shit <laughs> put me on the spot I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I was Go like on. what's that about put but, me on the spot let's see but, what you got no but if like have you ever been in your in a position in your life where you've been really low and you've not reached out yeah yeah so um, I'm not sure if you're aware but I recently took six weeks off work um, yeah I, uh, one of my main problems, I think one of the reasons that I sort of spiraled was because I wasn't talking to people. Yeah. Um, we did like an episode on it a few episodes ago where I sort of detailed all of that out. It was, it was shame. This I, is the, the, the breakup, right? Yes. yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was almost like shame. Like, you know, yeah. like I've got this per persona that like, I think, I think in my friend, friend group, everybody's like, you know, I, I sort people's problems out. You know, I'm not supposed to have problems in my family. Same thing. That's how I felt. And I think that's like, you just get caught up in it. And you're just like, nah, I don't. And then you keep ignoring it. Your behavior cool. starts spiraling. Shit gets worse. And I think one of the, 
one of the biggest learns that I think I had throughout that whole thing was, oh, no, 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 take care of that stuff. So, like what you're saying, like self-care, being in touch with your own emotions, I think is super important in order to make sure, A, you achieve your goals, and B, also you, you're in a position where you're enjoying your own life. Yeah. Because I look back on it and I think, there was about a four or five month period where if I'd done something almost straight away mm. that I could, could have back and I could be further along and all that sort of stuff. Um, I mentioned earlier to, to a couple of my friends as well, I think masculinity was a thing. Mm. It's like, it's not really seen as a masculine thing to like share your feelings, confront them. Whereas I think that conversation needs to change. Absolutely. I think yeah. that there can be nothing more masculine than taking care of real problems and making sure they don't affect the people around you. Yeah. It's so like, what could be more masculine than that? Yeah. And that's pr probably a, a, a flaw in our cultures, I think, yeah, South yeah. Asian cultures. It, you know, like, so I'm big on traumas, right? Mm. I'm, everyone talks about trauma and, and I, I feel that we have to really acknowledge our traumas. So it's really interesting that you say that because I think we, are, we have like intergenerational trauma where um, we've inherited certain things so so the shame you're talking about is not actually your shame that is a toxic shame that you've inherited if I talk about my feelings you know I'm gonna feel I'm gonna be less than now I'm, I'm making assumptions here about your family but you know perhaps that's something that your dad would have felt and something that his dad would have felt so we we have to um to look at our traumas and you know I'm, I'm sorry to hear that you went through that but it's good that you went through that because you're here today and, 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 and it, you know, it's the cliche, isn't it? You know, I'm not going to say it makes you stronger. I don't, I, I'm not going to say right. that, but I am going to say it builds who you are. But I, like I said about trauma, like, um, I heard this years ago and I loved it, but I didn't know why I loved it. Uh, so look back, but don't stare, you know, right. and I, so there are things in our childhood that we really have to address. Um, I think you said in your in your podcast that you didn't have the coping skills. Yes. Now, that's really important to understand. Well, where did well, how comes I didn't have the coping skills? And I, and I think about that. You know, we we almost have to have a toolkit. And where do we get a toolkit from? Who who teaches us a toolkit? Who gives us that toolkit? So not only do we have a toolkit, but we've also got some seriously dangerous shit in that toolkit that's <laughs> fucked us up before. <laughs> You know, yeah. like now I love my parents, you know, and I'm grateful to, to be where I am because of the hardships that my parents went through, you know, but I, I acknowledge there are also traumas from that, mm. you know, with certain things that occurred, um, you know, whether it's them getting stressed from having to work, work, work to put food on our table. You don't understand that as a child, you know, um, or for example, um, I'm just thinking like, Oh my God, this is, this is the post-pregnancy <laughs> going into, uh, I don't know what I'm talking about. No, but whatever it is, it's manifested in a way that may have created trauma. You know, um, I didn't just become a rebellious teenager for no reason. Like mm. I know that my parents were really cautious. You know, that translates for me as a child as really controlling. Yeah. So how did that impact on me as an adult? I had to really acknowledge that. I had to really acknowledge that. And so... Um, coming back to the toolkit and when mm. you know when you go through something in life i think we have to acknowledge some of those traumas that become the architecture of of how we function yeah um 
I think, yeah, oops, sorry, so, no, sorry no. I didn't mean to interrupt, no, no, but, but you, you mentioned in, intergenerational trauma. Yeah. And when, the more you kind of start, start to think about it, mm. the more you kind of realise, I'm willing to bet our experiences are the same or very, very similar mm. as, um, let's say, African immigrants yeah, or yeah, Spanish yeah. immigrants, yeah, yeah, e- yeah. now Eastern European immigrants. Yeah. Because I think the culture within immigrant communities becomes like the first generation comes over and their only goal is to establish themselves yeah. and retain their culture. But you're in a different culture here where it's like, you know, you're trying to maintain two cultures. As a second generation person, you're trying to maintain two cultures. Mm. A lot of the times your parents aren't around because of shift work and stuff. Like my my dad worked, at one point he worked two jobs. Yeah, yeah. Right, he worked two jobs. A hustle. And both were nights. So it's like almost, even though like we live with my dad, (laughs) live with my mum. Yeah. A lot of the times it was like my mum raised us. Yeah. So it's almost like it's a single parent household, isn't it? And so that would have had its own impact. Yeah. Right? And we have to acknowledge how does that impact later on down the line? How does that impact on our relationships? How does that re- impact on our relationships with our work? Mm. Um, colleagues. Could be colleagues. Something might trigger us off. You know, sometimes we don't know what we're, uh, where we're working from. That might impact on your relationship massively with yourself like where in that would you have learned how to take care of yourself because in some way you would have probably been really mindful about taking care of your mum so when you translate that into a relationship it's like okay okay, so am I the caretaker now of of others Yeah. you know and then if I'm the caretaker of others damn that's going to have an impact somewhere along the line and um, that's going to really impact on me and some people get that and some people don't so self-awareness for me is like power is like knowledge and i don't mean for anybody else i mean for for like for me and like you know to have i mean i imagine that you ended up having some therapy or some kind of counseling around that now whatever you learn in that that's your power that's your knowledge obviously not maybe not all of it but whatever we worked for you. Yeah, uh, uh, a million percent. Like I, 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 so I don't actually have a degree in psychology, so yeah. I kind of know like a few bits and pieces. But it wasn't until like literally an hour a week you set aside, you talk mm. through somebody, you talk it through with somebody, then you start realizing Absolutely. shit. You're like, oh, okay, cool. This is yeah. X has affected Y. Yeah, yeah. Y's become Z, right? Yeah. Um, but then you also have an hour for the first time in my life. It was the first time ever, an hour a week where you sit you think about mm. how you can actually be better yeah how can you cope what can you do and in a weird way it was almost like it was um you know one of these like really inspirational ted talks yeah it almost became that where you were like oh yeah shit i do have yeah. power over this and this is what i can do to like be to better as an individual and and be the best you can be, right? Be the amazing person that you you are. As cheesy and as like I cringe know, as it sounds, I know. yes. I'm sorry, I'm so full of cliches, but I am that person that doesn't say them without believing it. I I'm totally with you. You know, but do you, right? So do you think that you would be saying that had you not um, had severe depression and had kind of the treatment that you had? Do you think you'd be sitting here saying that? Uh, no, because I don't think I would 
ever have paid attention to it. Yeah. And in in a weird way, I think I'm actually kind of glad that at 26 I had that experience rather than at yeah, 45. I totally agree with you. And I think we talk about this like all the fucking time. What's the masculine way in, in Punjabi culture to deal with stuff? Yeah. You drink. You drink. Yeah. There you go. And that makes absolutely no fucking sense at all. How is that seen as a masculine way to deal with problems? But then that's why, you know, it's culturally accepted to to drink and to drink to excess. And, you know, oh no, drink a bit less, all right. You know, you don't have to worry about yeah. it. You don't have to worry about your problems, have a drink. But remember what I said about intergenerational trauma. That's another thing that we inherit, that it's, it's, it's acceptable to have a drink to numb your feelings. Great, okay, that's wonderful. What if you keep doing that and you're, 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 you're 20s, you're 30s, you're it keeps going, keeps going. It's keeps just basically going. self-medicating, isn't it? And like, th- then you get to a point where you're 45 and then like, I, I, I feel like it, um, it like shoots off spores. Yeah. Then you have issues, and it's not the sole cause, but then you have issues like domestic violence pop up. Um, you know, like these weird relationships with the people around you. Yeah. And it becomes a vicious vicious cycle, doesn't it? You're so right, because I would love to know, I say I'd love to know, this makes me sound <laughs> relatively sadistic, but I'd love to know how many people actually die from alcoholism, because it's all very well saying, okay, they've had liver failure. So how would their, on, on their this is really morbid, but on their death certificate would be liver failure or heart disease or heart attack or how many of those could be linked to the drinking and you know if we were to look at in our, in our community especially the Punjabi community I say Punjabi community um, because the, the, there's a social kind of acceptance of drinking mm. but like you said domestic violence you know that's massive yeah. um, and then women I remember treating a woman um, who came into the rehab for about mm, three weeks. Punjabi suit, everything. I saw the husband, the turban, and I'm not even joking. Inside, I was like, yes, things are turning. Mm. She didn't last. And this is a woman who came in young, had a, had a, a child. Her eyes were as yellow as could be you know she she'd had she was jaundiced because of her level of drinking um but there was no there was nothing to say to me that she had any support outside nobody understood yeah she she didn't she didn't she didn't do the six months i mean she didn't even last the month you know but um i feel like with education and stuff i think that will improve yeah it's still hard though it's still really hard I, i i i totally agree i think it will improve, perhaps with the following generation. Yeah, and I, I think that's part of. I think that's why people who talk about it, like like yourself, other other yeah. people, that I th- feel like that's what's so important. Because I always think, yes, of course, it's like an internal thing. Like somebody has to be like, okay, I want help. But I feel like the more material that's available to be like, no, 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 look, we can actually like, we've got a plan. Yeah. This is how you can treat it. Like this isn't something that you're just stuck with for the rest of your life. Yeah. Um, and it's accepted in our circles. Um, so the South Asian circle, for example, that, oh, okay, this is specifically, like these people empathize with me. They understand like my story. 
And I think that really helps. Yeah. Rather than going to... It's weird because I don't want to sound divisive, but going to like an outsider. Yeah. Somebody who's not in our community doesn't understand the problems. Yeah, but sometimes from what I've seen from people from the South Asian community who have to go outside, I've seen when they break free, they're more likely to be in recovery. Right. So my kind of, um, my way of working and, and what I've worked with is when someone comes into recovery, recovery means no more drinking on a day-to-day basis, mm-hmm. you know, but that means forever. It's abstinence. Right. Um, I know there's a lot about harm minimization. Personally, I don't agree with it because I think you picked up, the first one does the damage. Right. You picked up, you know, and that's, that's, I know that sounds really extreme, but for someone who's an alcoholic and someone who has had severe consequences, whether it's health, whether it's social, um, psychological, um, that, that would be recovery. And then you have to learn to not self-medicate with a substance. Right. Um, and I think that's really hard. I think that's really hard for the Punjabi community. Uh, and like I was saying earlier, that I find that when they go outside of the community, it's almost like there's more acceptance. Right. You know, and that's that's what I've seen. Mm. Um, I Can wish I... it wasn't so much like that. Yeah. Can I ask um, a, a question? Obviously, like anonymous and all that. But what are some of the most severe cases of addiction that you've seen oh my goodness because um, I feel like that's another point because I don't think people understand like people around them's relationship with let's yeah. say booze gambling whatever yeah, yeah. I don't think people understand that oh okay this is addiction yeah I mean you know some for some of the most severe cases that I've seen I'm talking about somebody who's in their like young 40s 30s who is needing a liver transplant um or and and i mean i remember a woman who came into the office said i don't i don't feel right she was someone who was really ill i'm, I'm talking yellow from top to like marge simpson completely mm. yellow um within seconds i kind of looked at her i said you need to get to, she, i knew she was going to be sick she wasn't sick. What happened? She, you know, you have like veins, varices in your throat. They burst. And she just projectile vomited blood, pure blood all the way out. And I thought, my God, she's going to die. She's going to die. I think now she got recovery to the right. point that now she's in recovery. She got her transplant. And oh my God, she, I saw her the other day. I was like, you are glowing. She goes, oh, that means a lot. You know, mm. she nearly died. But I've also seen the other side to it where, for example, you know I mentioned like sex and love addiction. Mm-hmm. So um, we had a woman who came into treatment and she, uh, again, very, very yellow, two beautiful daughters and got some level of recovery, got into a relationship with someone in treatment because she was constantly getting into relationships, um, filling the void and ended up in hospital and she died and i tell you something for what, me what did she, she die picked of? up alcohol sorry i should oh, okay. mention that it's like i'm expecting you to mind me sorry. <laughs> <That's fine. laughs> but she started drinking she started drinking because her relationship um started going up and down but really you know the relationship was just to to fill the void right and and she died and she was really and i will never forget being at her um 
at her funeral and just seeing her daughters and I, I you know that was really powerful for it's me harsh. yeah yeah I, I mean it's when you I think the hardest thing about seeing someone who's really ill is um, when they don't see it yeah when they don't see it and 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 you know they're gonna die you know we, we need to mention that D word to those people yeah you know? but um, Though, yeah, those are probably the hardest ones. That's crazy. Gambling addiction is always one that's fascinated me. Yeah. yeah. Like, because I've never really... Yeah. I, I don't think I've ever, like, suffered from any form of addiction, really. You um, said really? You're, like, <laughs> questioning that. I like, Do I we like, need to have a session on the on I, like, I like food and a couple of other things. Listen, <laughs> we've all got our biases. Okay? Yes. We've all yeah. got our vices. There is not a single person that can tell me in this room that we don't have our vices. It's just when we got consequences from. It was like one of the one of the craziest addiction stories I've heard. Have, have you heard of Terry Crews? Terry Crews. Yeah. So he's tell like me. a actor. He, he was in White Chicks. Um, Everybody hates Chris. The Old Spice. The Old Spice commercials. He's like really famous. Like uh, you know, I'm you really would know him by face. If I saw his face, I'll, yeah, go on, pal, get, get a picture of. And what was his addiction? Uh, you'll never guess it. Porn. A it's famous, good-looking, huge dude yeah. was addicted to porn. Yeah, it's a it's a problem. And he 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 was this. Yeah, there you go. Oh my god! Yes, he's the one who got. Um, he's the one who there was some issues with. Uh, what's that guy? This is when my brain's like going prego brain. Um, he's. He's, oh my God, he, uh, what is the name of that guy in Hollywood who's been taken to court now? Oh, Weinstein. Weinstein. No, so it wasn't, it wasn't Weinstein, but he was in the Me Too stuff. So it was he a was different. He was in the Me Too stuff. No, 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 no. So he, he oh, got he sexually that. assaulted. By somebody else. By a producer, like a famous. Take that back, Weinstein. Agent. Oh fuck, oh fuck Weinstein! You could, I mean, I guarantee you, he's at some point sexually assaulted Terry Crews, okay, right? <laughs> like that motherfucker's done everything. Yeah, that dude really is has. the devil. He really has. He looks it as well, doesn't he? Yeah. Did you see that? Like we're off on a tangent, but did you see that him turning up to his court hearings? Yeah. Like what's that about? He was all trying to like, like I'm the frail old man. Trying to get like you know, and that's publicity. Yeah. You know. Okay. Well, he's trying if to get you're going like sentence. that, then you know, let's hope everything is all kind of shriveled yeah. up. But Terry Crews, Terry Crews, like a huge. I think he's. A, like six foot three like a fucking huge yeah. wedge guy he some hollywood agent grabbed his cock oh yeah okay. i knew he was sexually sorted i just i thought it was the weinstein i didn't realize oh, no, it no. wasn't i just but want he, everything he, to be weinstein yeah i mean like i said you, th <laughs> you can fling any shit and some of it will stick at that prick um there was um him he was addicted to porn and like he was describing his addiction where i was like oh my so, god so, so how was he describing his addiction and why did that why did that shock you? Because I'm, I'm fairly sure one of my friends is actually addicted to porn. Like, no, 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 no like genuinely, and like, I won't say his name, but like, honestly, we have conversations about it, and like, he, he straight up says it. He's just like, I, he's like, I almost prefer porn to sex. So, so what? Like, so, okay, so what? Okay, but what? But Terry Crews. Terry Crews said this. No, no, no. So Terry Crews. He was. He was talking about how he'd be driving along on the motorway and need to stop. And on his, he wouldn't stop. Oh wow! He said he'd be watching and watching wow. porn and driving, not even like masturbate. But his like masturbation like totals went up and shit. He was yeah. and it, he was like it was actually quite a dark period of my life. Yeah. And he was like it's such a like a like it, I, I, it's something I'd crack jokes about like you know porn addictions. 
but he was like no it like really led me down this path where it's dark and so and so for you was it the shock that it was someone high profile and also like i get from you is it that porn can be an addiction yes yeah yeah it was those two things exactly yeah 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 yeah. there's somebody who's like you know this is what i'm saying anything that takes you outside of yourself you know i don't want you to go away and be thinking like oh my god like you know People can be addicted to all kinds of things, you know, smoking, coffee, what, whatever. Mm. But there are some addictions that will take you, like, like he's saying, right? Take you down a really dark path. Yeah. Um, and just, it's when you take yourself outside of yourself. You know, what is, is, what is it about us that's not enough? That's what we have to ask ourselves. Yeah. You know, um, even, if, if, even if it's just a vice, you know, I'm, I'm so big on that now where I am in my life now is just you know I want to kind of bang that drum to say to everybody look guys you know open up your hearts and your minds to be aware of yourself and and I hate to say the cliche don't hate me don't judge me but love yourself because no one no one's going to do that for you Mm. and that's not even a bad thing we have to we have to take care of ourselves yeah you know but when we get to things like addiction you know you need some serious recovery from that how can you i mean there's there's probably people watching or listening yeah um how can you help somebody who you can recognize is maybe not even addicted but has these weird relationships with things like alcohol smoking yes smoking everybody knows you're like smoking you're just killing yourself isn't it but like addiction but we still do it yeah I know it's, f- it's fucking crazy we still do um, it uh, but yeah how, how can you help somebody in that situation that's a really good question like, so I'm going to ask that question to you right so I'm going to throw that back to you like mm-hmm. what do you see as help I think I think with help so, for example, if I, again, think about my own situation, and I know it's not addiction, but anybody could have been saying anything to me at that time, like, look, man, there's something wrong, like, you know, you're not yourself, and I would have dismissed it. It was only when I came to that realisation myself that then I could help, like, myself. So, to me, helping another individual in a similar situation, in, in an addiction situation, is getting them to realise themselves rather than forcing something onto them. There you go. That, that in a I'm just a smart fucking dude, Poonam, right? <laughs> and then you're going to say it's because I've got psychology to <laughs> Yeah, I hear that again, yeah I, I'm always cheating. If I, if I hear that again, I'm going to like fucking smack someone in the head. I've got psychology degree. I'm sorry, but um, no, right, no. On a level, the reason I asked you that is because sometimes when you have awareness, right, and that is no disrespect to anybody else who mm. hasn't, Got, gone through counselling or therapy or some kind of self-work with someone else. But when you have that kind of knowledge, something's awoken within you to recognise, you know what? I need to be the one to change this. Yeah. I have to take responsibility. And if I don't take responsibility, no one else is going to do that for me. So, you know, I know I've said this word so many times, like, to the point that you go, like, like my God, if I hear that all the time, I'm just going to, like... Like, you know, do something. <laughs> but consequences. Yeah. I have to have enough consequences. Like, even when, when I had depression, I needed to reach my rock bottom to say, enough, Poonam, enough. 
Mm. Talk about it now. Let's talk about it. Right. So, but the, the difficulty with addiction, the difficulty, let's say, with someone who's got drug addiction, someone who's got alcohol addiction, or even gambling addiction, it's like they might lose their house and still think they don't have a problem. Mm. They, they will look... This is what my experience has told me. I have, been, I have sat opposite somebody who is yellow, tip to toe, who I know will die if they walk through that door and they don't help, or they don't take the help, you know, or they've come to me, you know, full of um, self-harm scars and, and, and they, they still think they can do it by themselves, you know. So it's so important to, like, the shift in themselves, but that's not to say you have to do it all by yourself, mm. because the people that I've definitely been part of uh, their recovery, um, and I wouldn't be as arrogant to say, oh yeah, I help them get well. No, yeah. that's not my role. I help them to, to use their toolkit. I give them the tools, yeah. you know, as collectively as a team would, right? So it's so important to, to recognize it's got to come from within, and you've got to have the right support network. What's the point of saying, okay, well, you know what? Um, it's re- I recognise I've got a problem. Let me go out with a group of friends who are going to drink. Let me go out with the, the fam- at the family party that I know everybody's going to be drinking. That doesn't become your support network. Mm. So it's, it's making those shifts. What's, supporting, what's supportive for me? What's nurturing for me? I love that word, nurturing. Like, I should get it tattooed somewhere. I have <laughs> other tattoos. I need to get that tattoo. I love the word nurturing. Mm. We have to nurture ourselves. Um, yeah. But for people who are suffering from addiction, yeah, like, nurturing doesn't come easy. You know, you don't know what kind of traumas have triggered off the addiction. Yeah. You know. It's crazy. It's a, it's a murky world. Yeah, um, I think we're... Oh, absolutely. So that was, uh, would you say social media is an addiction? That was a question. Absolutely. Oh my goodness. Don't even get me started on social media. Like, and people's necks like this and like all of this malarkey. Social media (laughs) is probably one of the most dangerous addictions, um, new age, modern addictions, I would say, because... Yeah, I was reading. Dangerous. I was reading in the news that they're actually doing. They're actually trying to pump a lot more money into the research around that. Yes. Because yes. There, was, there, there, I think there was a spike in like um, teenage depression that they've. I think yeah. they've correlated Mental to health. social media. Oh my gosh! Like why? Because you're comparing your kind of internal things, and, and actually, I don't know how many of us. Have, I've certainly done this in this room. Can do that, but you, you compare your internal feelings to someone's externals. Bad move, yes. right? Bad move. If you do that just socially, shit move. <laughs> if you do that at, the, at your hand, like that's always there, oh my goodness, problem. What are you going to do? Yeah. That is, that is really shit, comparing and, yourself. Yeah, I'm f- f- fully with you. And oh, did you, did you know like getting likes on social media? It, it activates the serotonin in your brain. And, and, and how fucked up is serotonin. that? That's fucked. Yeah, I, I read that and I was like, that's ridiculous. But you need a like, you know? So, so again, we are then working. The reason I said it's so dangerous, because you are now, now we are instilling a whole future generation with this kind of 
you need something external to make you feel whole. Yeah. It just comes away. It makes me laugh, right? I'm on Instagram, okay? Um, I have come away from Facebook, but I'm, I'm reintroducing it purely for um, mental, mental health. wealth stuff. Yeah. But, and even that is because I was told by somebody that, oh, you know, who does know what he's talking about. He's like, well, if you do it on that, you know, you'll generate more people coming to the site. And I was like, okay, all right, fine. So we'll do that. But it, I just think, how does that, we talk about mental health on the social media sites. Yeah. So ironic. <laughs> <laughs> but the reality is, like, social media actually deteriorates the mental health. Yeah. I can really does. I can I can feel it. I like definitely like you're you're like scrolling through social media and like you know yeah you're scrolling through and then you feel almost like you're a fucking zombie. zombie. Don't you? That is the word. Yeah, you a know, social media zombie. Honestly, like my 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 husband would kill me for saying this. Yeah. I have to say it, and he he's just going to deny it anyway. But like. The kids, like, I've got two little rugrats running around, right? And one of them was, like, about to jump off the sofa. And, mm. and he's like this. I'm like, I mean, you, you, you <laughs> sort the kids out. And he's like, yeah, they're fine. No, one of them's going to, like, hurt him. So I'm, no, 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 they're fine. But you're on your phone. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. <laughs> it to is. the point, we don't even realise we're doing it. Yeah. Right? I, I, I think people just... I think people's relationships with their phones is just fucked up. Have you ever seen like people who like my my biggest pet peeve is when people go to like concerts or like shows or something, and the whole fucking show is on their story. I'm like motherfucker, did you actually experience the event? I agree with you. I like when fucking Drake came to London. I didn't I didn't even have to pay tickets. I just watched like four, I just paid. I just watched like four people's Instagram stories, and I was like, oh, okay, cool. I've got the show. That's fine. You see. No, this is what I'm trying to say. It is becoming a culture. It is a culture. Yeah. So as much as we are trying to do things differently, you know, I, I, I heard, um, in fact, it was a client who said this to me. She said, our parents did some fucked up things that um, we're going to think, we're never going to do that stuff. But we are going to, in not doing those fucked up things, we're going to do a whole new set of fucked up things mm. because of the world that we're living in now. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you. You mentioned uh, earlier. I think we've got to wrap up soon. I think we're coming up to it's coming up to time. Uh, you mentioned something earlier and um, about the person losing their home, the gambling from, yes. from the gambling. They lost everything: their business, their home, everything. And you were talking about sex uh, addictions as well. Yeah. Last uh, last week we filmed with V, the dominatrix. Yeah. Um, so that episode's not out when we're filming. But she mentioned something where one of the girls that she used to work with yeah. convinced this guy to remortgage his house yeah. for financial domination. Wow. Wow. Mind, hashtag that. mind blown. Like, that is fucked up, isn't it? It's like the overlapping of two fucking addictions. Absolutely. This dude just remortgaged his house. <laughs> like, what are you Unbelievable. doing? Unbelievable. Yeah. But, but, you know, for some reason, he's filling his own void his void that's it he's filling his hole he's filling his hole well this has genuinely been fucking great um, we'll definitely have you back on I feel like this could, this could be like a little segment I've really enjoyed that yeah thank you so much for having me I'm so we'll just pick up a topic like this was obviously the addiction episode yeah, we'll just pick yeah, a fucking yeah, topic and have absolutely. you back on yeah I will be happy to come back and awesome. uh, thanks for having me we'll pop all of your um, links and stuff in the descriptions yes, yes. Uh, yeah, so people cool. can check you out yeah amazing um, awesome Keep doing the work you're doing. Thank you. Uh, Poonam Sandu. Yeah.